Good evening, good evening, hello, and thank you for joining us for another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Brothers, how are you? Doing okay, doing okay. Watched a lot of basketball this week. Doc, how are you? Doing well. Between the uh, conference, while well, I presented some research, a uh, research paper, I should say, uh, all. Among all that, all the basketball, I got to soft feet quite a bit, so it's good. I'm not great, understandably so, as a U of H alum. But uh, put things in perspective real quick, and we'll talk more in detail about games we saw on TV or in person. But uh, for those following the tournament, you know, uh, Michigan defeated the Cougs on a three-point buzzer beater Saturday night to win by one point to advance to the 316. Cougs led by two points. Devin Davis um, had a chance to ice the game, missed free throws. That happened. But then Poole made a, a hell of a shot at the buzzer to win the game. But to put things in perspective, you know, everybody's down and depressed and, you know, bummed out and everything, you know, sky's falling. One of my high school classmates was also a, a um, UH alum, texted me and told me that his brother passed away uh, two days ago, three days ago. So that loss by U of H pales in comparison to the death of his brother. So he lost the battle of cancer. So the funeral will be this week. So let's just keep things in focus and, and perspective. Yep. So, yep. so just want to say that. Now we can talk about things. Especially when you're talking about uh, young men playing the game that are not directly being played. So uh, with that, you got a lot of people pouring a lot of their heart that actual physically on the court, trying to get it done, and a tip pass or miss. Free throw here and there is not necessarily based on the desire to get it done, but uh, sometimes it just doesn't happen. So I think you make an extremely valid point in regards to perspective on all this. And and to add another level to it, the NCAA shows on the internet. You know they do Periscope of the uh, post-game press conferences for the teams once the game's in. So um had a link to the U of H press conference last night. And, I, you know, I, I don't do it all the time. I see it enough on Twitter, but no one has blasted me on Twitter, but I know it exists. It just made me shake my head at folks commenting who weren't even U of H alums commenting on hating on the Cougs for losing the game. And some of the comments were just out of line. You know, and it just like I'm, all these folks really just have no idea of what they're talking about. They have this courage, this keyboard courage to say so many things that they wouldn't say to these players' faces, you know, face to face. And just to so I just made me shake my head, and once it was over, I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to watch this anymore, because it was just, I mean, it was just, I mean, seriously, this is this is where we've come to now. 
you know, you criticize people you don't know over a game. You know, so yeah, it's on on happier note. Um, the team came back from Wichita um, this afternoon. Media was there. I was surprised to see some a good number of U of H alums, fans there to meet the team and greet the team coming back and thank them, congratulate them for the successful season that this was. It was a successful season. It won 27 games, first NCAA tournament win in 34 years when they edged San Diego State in the first round. So it was good to see. And it seems like a lot of folks who were not public about their support in the past are now on the bandwagon again for U of H basketball, um, expecting big things. Human nature. Yep. Human nature. <clears throat> expecting big things next season. And I put it on Twitter last night, and, it, and, Ke- and Kelvin Sampson, head coach, has said it himself, that next year's team, this, this year's team laid, laid the foundation. This year's team was, it was important for this team in the fourth year of Coach Sampson's time at U of H to reach the NCAA tournament. They did that. Next year's team will have more talent than this year's team. Physical talent. That does not mean, and I am not saying, that next year's team will be better and have a better record than this year's team. Because as we all as we all know, talent alone does not guarantee success. Right. But they have four great recruits coming in with the four recruits U of H has coming in. You have Nate Hinton, 6'5", guard from North Carolina. is the top 100, um, ESPN top 100, uh, you know, recruit signee for U of H. Dejon Giroux is another 6'5", wing, played 1, 2, or 3, versatile, played you know, rebound, score, very athletic. He was, was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. And, of course, Antoine Davis, Mike Davis's son, a su- supreme, supreme, superior shooter, three-point shooter. He's 6'2". He's got to get stronger. You know, uh, Coach Davis has told us that he – yeah, listen, man, Coop's listen is 175. He ain't no way he's up 175. He may be like 155. Hopefully, Antoine can become – one one seventy, you know, by the time he enters yeah. the race, but he's just a he's a lanky shooter, but superior shooter, no question about him. And then the last young man who's part of the recruiting class is Bryson Gresham, six nine, two twenty, an athletic big man who's versatile to play in the four and the five. So those four players combined with what you have returning in Corey Davis Jr., Galen Robinson Jr. You have hopefully Brian Brady will learn how to play without fouling. Fabian White, who made the All Freshman Team Conference, Armani Brooks, who was the Sixth Man of the Year in the conference, Cedric Alley, six foot six, six foot six athlete who redshirted this year, may be able to in time develop into that Devin Davis role as a 3-4 kind of player. He's a better passer than Devin Davis, I've been told. 
And then you got Chris Harris Jr., athletic shot blocker, who's 6'10", 6'11". So, okay, that's what I'm waiting on. That's what I'm they, waiting on. They, right so they have, you know, he played high school ball to Madison, junior college ball. This year, he was he was just raw. He was, Coach Samson believes Chris Harris's better days, best days are in front of him. And the important time is, you know, Wildcat knows and, and Doc knows from years of following basketball that once you get on campus for that first year, your biggest improvement should come between your first and second year. So if that holds true, yeah. then you should see Chris Harris take that leap. So the Cougs have depth returning, and, it, and these guys will be experienced. You know, as Coach Sampson has said numerous times, this year's team had eight new players that he had to teach his style, his culture. Those eight guys are coming back. So you got those eight guys returning plus the four incoming. So it shouldn't take as long to teach the culture. You'll have the, your veterans, returning veterans, tell the new guys, you know, successful teams are really led by the players. And you get the players to lead by example with the youngsters. This is how we do things. This stuff ain't going to work. This is how we get it done here at U of H. And those guys buy in. Then we shall see how things go and if that talent matches success, leads to success on the floor. So, like I said, this is March 18th, 2018. Come November and December, we'll see if the talent leads to wins. Hell, this year's team won 27 games. Went 27 and 8. So, for next year's team to have a better year, they got to go farther in the tournament. You know? That's true. That's, that's what they got to do. now, Because winning, the, as we've seen in the first two rounds of the men's tournament, being a number one seed doesn't guarantee you, no longer guarantees you success. As UMBC upset Virginia, the number one overall seed in the tournament. So anything is possible. So, you know, that regular season success is great. So even if the Cougs happen to have a great year and win the AAC regular season and or AAC conference tournament championship does not mean they're going to get to the Sweet 16. Winning is hard. That's one thing fans and every so often folks in media either don't want to realize or forget or just don't want to accept. Winning is hard. Winning championships is even harder. So knocking and criticizing players for missing this shot, missing that free throw, not winning this game, a lot has to go into success on the floor. Some of, some of it even involves luck. If Jordan Poole's shot would have bounced out, U of H would have won despite Devin Davis missing free throws. So, you know, different things have to go into winning a game. So that's all part of it. The bar has been raised. The foundation has been laid by Coach Sampson and this, these seniors who are leaving. Next year's team, I think media and fans are going to pay attention to the team earlier in the season. And they were going to look for them to have success early. One thing I'm kind of curious is to see how many teams, how many good teams will want to play U of H non-conference. Because it's a fine line, you know, you make that phone call, Hey, this is Kelvin Sam, University of Houston, looking, looking to get you to come to Houston to play. Click. 
two years ago, this this year of age, yeah. I think I think that's less likely now when you have these power rankings. They they will actually uh, would rather play at University of Houston uh, because even if they lose, it doesn't hurt them uh, as it has in the past. So you'll have some teams where maybe a coach is uh, on the bubble that will be less likely to play them. But it just in general, in terms of the way the NCAA now has the map that we talked about when we went. Uh, to the women's mock tournament, I think it actually becomes a little more advantageous for U of H to make some of those calls. And it goes in both ways. It's advantageous for U of H now. Um, they can afford uh, to have a tough loss against a quality team because now they've made that statement that they're in the upper echelon of the uh, AAC and they have a little more benefit of the doubt, particularly with the history they have. They have to obviously keep going. I hope you're right, Doc, and it makes sense. Your logic is quite sound. But but <clears throat> I have, I have already heard I have already heard some some teams that some teams have already said, ah, yeah, about that agreement. No, I don't know about that now, Coach. No, well, I'll get back to you. You know. That's what I said. Some of those coaches that are on the bubble, they're going to be probably those ones holding up. But uh, it actually gives you a chance to maybe play some of the even tougher teams. So, yeah. Really have and I hope so. Not. You know, I hope, that's, hope that is the case. But I've already heard once Coach – once U of A beat Cincinnati, some teams, uh, yeah, we're not going to play y'all. Um, yeah, that's, well, we'll get back to you kind of conversations. <laughs> so, I mean, it is out there, but there should be enough teams in all seriousness. There still should be enough good teams that should agree to play U of H here on the road, neutral site, where the non-conference schedule was, will be competitive. You know, so that's that's the bottom line, because I've said it and we've talked about it on previous podcasts. I wasn't thrilled with this year's non-conference schedule. Coach Sampson was uh, the the majority of the bracketologists weren't, and I think the NCAA Select Committee wasn't either, and that's why they strengthened the schedule for U of H non-conference was. Was so high, I think it's at one point is in 200s, you know, and it was holding the clues down for a while until they started winning, beating Wichita State and Cincinnati in conference to help balance out the non conference uh, ranking. So, two, you know, two different perspectives. I think, um, I hope that you'll see certain teams, you know, regional teams. We've got a lot of good teams in the state now in this area. Make it yeah, happen. Right at home. Yeah, make it happen. So that's all part of it. And clearly you want to have the the uh, Fertitta Center will be opening in December. Um, So that's going to, you know, probably have the team U of H definitely play on the road or neutral sites in November until the, the center opens in December. And hopefully they can get a, a big-time opponent a marquee opponent to help open up the center in December. 
and that'll be good for fans, interest, buzz, win, you know, et cetera. Got to win the game, of course. So all that plays into it. But TSU, men, won a game beat NC Central in the first four. They lost to Xavier, but they scored 83 points against a good defensive team. A true good defensive team. TSU's problem, Doc, you know, you tell me what your thoughts on this. They didn't they didn't play good defense. I mean, they reason, you know, they're one number one seed number one for a reason. But the Tigers defense was not that great. Yeah, but I agree. They certainly wasn't that good. But that's been a, a problem with them all year. They haven't been really a good defensive team all year, and that's hurt them with several conference losses they mm-hmm. got. Uh, they tend to beat teams when they played a little better on the offensive side of the ball. And then when it comes to tournament time, you're exactly right. You're going to have to be able to get some stops to be able to win some of these games. What really helped them in the first matchup between uh, North Carolina Central and Texas Southern University, which is a game, oddly enough, that was played uh, some 65 years ago in the National Athletic Steering Committee in the NHBS, in 1953 as a second-round game. In that game, North Carolina Central won the game over Texas Southern 81-66. to At that time, Texas Southern was in the Midwestern uh, Conference, a Midwestern Athletic Conference, while North Carolina Central was in the CIAA. Uh, this was a prelude to uh, the District 29, where a team would actually would play in the uh, NAIA tournament, which was the first tournament that allowed HBCUs to desegregate the tournament as you had African-Americans play in uh, some of these tournaments where you had one player at the time, uh, but not since then. And so getting back to the matchup, in that game, you actually had not necessarily because of just the defensive pressure, but uh, North Carolina Central just could not find their shot from the three. Very young team, and you can tell in a lot of ways their eyes were wide open. They shot 0 for 14, literally 0% from the three from the three, and Texas Southern didn't shoot much better at 25% clip, uh, six for 24, and literally the difference in the game was the six three points they made in terms of 18-point victory, 64 to 46. But I think some of that was in the leg, uh, playing that short game. I think that starts to hurt you in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, and when your margin is not that big when you're playing a tough team in Xavier that really has quality players, uh, you're going to have to find a way to get get around it, get some big stops and things of that nature. And they just couldn't quite get it done. Um, they went on some runs in that matchup, which I thought were really big, uh, took some early blows to let you know that they had some quality players that play in the game, a couple of tough calls that didn't quite go their way. Uh, but even uh, at halftime, they were only down by 12 after they made a push to close it down. But I think that's a lot of the matchups you had there. Uh, unlike what you've seen at UMBC when they got uh, the big victory where they shot so well from the three and actually defended uh, a team that is also solid on the defensive side uh, very well. And that's the kind of ingredient for getting these major upsets uh, in these type of games, not like what we see much in the women's side of the basketball, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little later when you talk about the interest uh, of these type of matchups uh, uh, to getting fans on board. But 
I had a chance to actually go to Dayton to that game, so it was really exciting to see uh, what, what was going on in this matchup. Uh, obviously, I saw it as historic, so I wanted to be there. Got to interview both coaches, Coach Mouton, who had um, won um, three championships in the last five years uh, for North Carolina Central Eagles, going three out of five, including two straight NCAA tournaments, similar to what you've seen for the flat. Uh, with Texas Southern University winning two straight uh, NCAA uh, ch- uh, SWAC championships to make two straight NCAA appearances, I should say, winning four championships in the last five years. So this is a feature matchup. I wish it would have been a little more competitive, uh, but obviously this is big for the for the SWAC. Uh, Texas Southern University gets their first tournament win as they have a huge history of playing basketball. Uh, winning a, a championship at the NIA level in 1977 and basically making it to a, a, a tournament playoff and winning the conference in every decade since the uh, 50s when they got it done uh, in both the Midwestern and then when they transitioned to the SWAC. Outside of the 60s was the only period where they didn't even go to a tournament, whether it was NIA or NCAA, to let you know the quality of this program is something that you really shouldn't necessarily be a surprise about, but uh, Coach Davis is getting it done. Uh, one thing that you want to throw out there, obviously it, it may not even be a 16 seed, uh, but you think about that they lost a transfer, Zach Lawson, which you're going to see a lot more going on these days, which I think is interesting in terms of uh, Lawson uh, as they lost in the first round of the tournament to Clemson, and, but he put in 29 big points in that matchup as he led uh, New Mexico uh, State Aggies to a, a conference championship in the WAC and then uh, getting into the tournament. So it'll be interesting to see how, as you talked about U of H moving forward, how Texas Southern continues to build and move forward. Obviously, they seem to have something that's working for them in terms of building within with a couple of young guys but mostly getting transfers. Uh, whether they're um, JUCO transfers, but mostly uh, graduate transfers and, and players that have some solid talent but uh, maybe want more playing time or whatever reason disgruntled where they are. It'll be interesting moving forward for the for, for the formula the SWAT to see if he can keep pushing it. This year it got tight. They actually had Grandma State that won the regular season, as we talked about earlier, um, but uh, couldn't go to the term with APR. Can they continue to build and kind of not take the Southern off its perch? Yet Prairie View tied for second along with uh, Southern. And so all these teams able to make uh, the next step. Southern has an interim coach, so big question down there. Will they take their interim tag off? Uh, some people um, would like to see that, while others think uh, they probably need to open it up and go on search. So those are kind of questions in terms of the flag in general. Uh, but even more so in terms of HBC uh, basketball for Texas Southern. Then you go over to the MAC, uh, the MEAC, I should say. It'll be interesting moving forward. They had a three-way tie uh, for the quality of basketball they had this year uh, with uh, Savannah State, Hampton, and North Carolina A&T, uh, all tied for first. And you had uh, you had Howard, I mean Hampton, leaving the conference from the Big South. Um, so that's going to be, uh, as well as Savannah State going to their side seat, moving down to Division Two. So what are the changes in store for the MEAC if they try to push forward, uh, as they would like to believe that uh, uh, 
this is a historic conference that has three of the six, seven, 15 over two victories and actually got a seed of 14 a couple of years ago. So um, they would probably like to see themselves outside of the, the uh, opening round uh, that a lot of people refer to as playing game, even though they don't want to call it that in terms of NCAA. But those are some of the things you see on the men's side of HBCU uh, in terms of teams trying to get it done. As we transition over to a little bit uh, HBCU basketball on the women's side, uh, you had one team in Grambling as they got the victory over Texas Southern and getting a little revenge of last year when Texas Southern came down the net from them. They get the win on Friday and then obviously beat their rival in the championship of Southern. And if their matchup was a 15 versus 2 against Baylor, and Baylor did his thing really um, beating up on Grambling pretty well, 96 to 46. A uh, little better matchup uh, for the Aggies of North Carolina A&T, as they were also 15 seed playing South Carolina last year's champions, obviously, and, and losing by only 11. It was the first quarter of the team maybe they couldn't get their legs out of when they lost 26 to 11. Um, but then they played a much better game, keeping it closer in terms of scores of each of consecutive quarters. Uh, prospectively, South Carolina scored them 13-10. North Carolina A&T in the third quarter, though, outscored South Carolina 14-10. And then again in the fourth quarter, outscoring 17-4 as the game was winding down. But they still lose by 11 in that matchup. Um, so those are some of the disparities you see on the women's side versus the men's side. So credit to them. I would like to talk about Texas Southern on the women's side as they were invited to the WBI Women's Basketball Invitational. They uh, held a home game for the first time in uh, history of Texas Southern and the SWAC, for that matter, and losing to Weber State. Uh, again, very valiant effort playing with the, without their leading score for the second consecutive game. They lost 66-56 pretty close throughout until late in that fourth quarter where they looked like they just ran out of gas and was outscored 20-18 to 18, uh, to get that <coughs> point difference in the matchup. Doc. I'm, I'm going to right, I'm, I'm, I'm mention this and Wildcat chime in too. If, if you can add to it, either one of y'all, I heard during halftime on the radio of the TSU men's game against Xavier, Larry Shadowbox Hill interviewed Dr. Charles McClellan. And Dr. McClellan said to Chatterbox that TSU was on spring break. So most of the women's team had already left town and they had to be contacted to come back to town to play the game against Weber State. Four players were already out and about. Uh, once the uh, invitation had gone out, coach got, assistant coach got on the phone, contacted everybody that was uh, either at home or at, their, at, a, at a place where they could answer the phone. Uh, if I remember correctly, the coach said one was still in flight, so he had to wait until the plane landed. Uh, but to make a long story short, they put him back on the plane, got him back here, uh, and basically said, okay, got one extra game, let's get this done, uh, let's play hard. Not at all, a lot of folks in the fans, it was a freebie, I posted it on Facebook, uh, told, contacted as many folks as I could, uh, they had a nice little crowd, uh, considering, but to make a long story short, 
they did the best they could with what they had to work with. Uh, as you said, not having the uh, uh, player of the year. Uh, Joyce Kennison. On, yep. on the squad. Uh, but they they just ran out of gas. Uh, they were in the game until midway to uh, the fourth quarter, and then it just they didn't have anything left in the tank. And it, the final score was indicative of, you know, how they played it all overall. Uh, coach, the players were excited that they had gotten an extra game. They were ready to play. So, uh, you know, deal with the hands, that, uh, the card hand that they had to, to work with. And coach was happy. Players were happy. Uh, as a matter of fact, on my, uh, on the post game interview, uh, actually we did it right out there on the, on the court. Uh, which is which is different, uh, but uh, she wanted to give the kids enough time, you know, to kind of like soak all this in. That they were going to uh, postseason, they went in postseason play, and Cardinal coach, she's got a great group coming back in. Uh, some nice recruits, people are calling uh, here locally and uh, in the region. Girls want to come play at Texas Southern because now. Anything can happen for them if they, you know, represent well in the conference regular season, represent well in the conference tournament, a phone call will be made. Yep, they'll be get get an extra game. And it bodes well to what has been done since Michael McCullough has been there. You know, you had uh, Cooper come in, change <laughs> uh, the, the standard, which has been below par. And now you you continue on with uh, Coach Hayes here. TSU Lady Tigers, they made a move. You know, it's not simple for just, you know, playing against your conference rival or uh, playing against teams that are so-called better than you, power five. You just go play ball. I like that. That's a great point. It's a great oh, point. Oh, by the way. Yes. Uh, Doc, let me ask this question. Uh, Considering that there was a coaching change, you know, uh, you had assistant coach get hired by um, uh, on the men's side. Assistant coach got hired by what was Alabama State. Which yeah. Alabama. Okay, Alabama A&M. If I remember, if I remember correctly, he was a defensive specialist. Do you think that had to do with uh, you know adjusting game to game? Um, situation now with uh, uh, you know not being able to stop teams when they needed to on runs and streaks this season, especially late when they. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, that played a a and you're talking about Coach Marsh, right? Donnie Marsh when he left and took that job uh, at Alabama, and it was going to hurt on the deck uh, on the defensive side. He left one time before. You look close to home in Florida as he uh, took a assistant coaching job at uh, South Florida. So it didn't surprise me that they were going to be hurt on the defensive side because we've seen that miss before, which gives me even more indication that one of the problems they're having on the defensive side is not just having their coach. And a lot of it is because um, Davis and Marsh have kind of went around the country together when they matched up everywhere from Indiana on down to UAB and now to Texas Southern University. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he trusted Mark so much that he just gave Mark 
the defensive side of the ball. So in a lot of ways, you had two coaches on the court at the time. You had one for offense, which was Davis, and defense was Coach Morris. Mm -hmm. And kind of how the magic worked for them. And so you see a little bit of that uh, not there. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where that goes forward in terms of of another question mark uh, in Texas Southern. Can they find a defensive presence they need to dominate the conference as they did in the past? And obviously what they really want to do is, is make a run in the NCAA tournament. To do that, you're going to have to be able to do well on the defensive side and get some stops. So we'll see uh, uh, moving forward. Will that be the case as you didn't quite see it this year? The um, lady of the house, they've done well so far. It's been a while since they've gone two seasons back-to-back with 20 games, one season. Uh, they did pretty much dismount Texas State the other night uh, at home, which was an advantage to U of H. I mean, not to U of H to, to Rice, just because they were in familiar surroundings and they pretty much have protected uh, the uh, home court this season. They've only lost one game uh, between non-conference regular season and now postseason. They head out on the road to, uh, to play Tuesday night in the pit in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Against uh, against New Mexico, uh, Lady Lobos. Uh, it's a seven o'clock Mountain Time t- uh, uh, game, and it's going to be interesting to see first how they react to uh, unfamiliar surroundings. Uh, you know, it's, it's it is what it is. The altitude. <laughs> I think they are just well I, on that part. I'm just—they have—they are a totally different team when they've gone out on the road. Period. Even in conference play, they just have. Uh, the fact that they were able to beat La Tech and Middle Tennessee in conference tournament bode well for where they are, how far they've come to where they are now. Uh, not just accepting, uh, you know, being being in conference tournament and getting to the next round. Now it's about getting to the tournament, which I think will happen. Uh, I don't know if it'll be a question mark next season just because of depth, uh, height. Wait, well, no, 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 no. Why you say that? She got talent. She she has she's healthy players coming guard. back. She's she got guard talent. She has healthy she's players coming back talent. next year. She's got guard talent. She's got healthy players coming back next year. Right? They have yet to show me they've got post-talent that can compete that you can depend on late in the game because they play shorthanded all season. Right. This year they play shorthanded, but next year the players they have not, did not have this year will be healthier. Right. I'll be at guard position. And all at you need, guard. all you need six, nine Nancy Mulkey to do next year is get in the way. Is what? Is get in the way. Well, and that, that's a, to me, that's a question mark. That's she, the expect. She can't get in the way. She just got to stand there in the paint and say, "You got to shoot over me." Like, I'm six foot nine. You got to shoot over me. <laughs> All right, we're gonna see. You're not. You have been watching the game for a long time. We've seen some seven footers. You know, it's, it's, they can stand. You know, get in the way. But that's when it was a post game type situation for a women's basketball. Now is at the guard play. Well, but no. What I'm saying is. Rice, and you said Rice has, and next year's team will have good guards. So they should be able to com- compete 
and counteract other team good guards, and if they happen to get beat outside, then Nancy Mulkey just gonna stand there in the paint because they can play zone in college. Okay, that's true. Here I am. What you gonna do? You know, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I don't have to jump. You gotta shoot over me. I'm gonna stick my hands up. I'm six foot nine. Shoot over me, and we'll see how many women's players can adjust and adapt to that. Now she has reportedly gotten stronger. She's never going to her frame. She's not going to really ever get heavy, but she has gotten stronger. So as long as she can avoid injuries, stay out of foul trouble, she can just roam the baseline stay, or just stand there in the paint <laughs> and say, okay, the lane is closed because y'all not going to come in here and make shots over me. And let's just be realistic. This is candid, honestly, okay? We have seen and we see, yeah. still see, far too many missed layups in women's basketball. True. And that's without True. six foot nine people in, at the bucket. In the post, yeah. Yeah. And that's hitting. It's almost like they've forgotten how to, or uh, at the last minute, they don't think they can. And, and let me, one or the other. Yeah. So, but 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 it, but more than anything, it's a mental situation. It ain't about physical play. It's that's about mental. Just yeah. like with free throws. Exactly. That's about so if they are if players are already missing labs because it's in their head without a six nine presence, <laughs> then it should get worse next year with the six nine presence. What I'm getting to basically is as what we have hinted at, TSU women's basketball. Bryce women's basketball. I haven't even touched on U of A's women's basketball. They lost in the first round on the road to BNIT to South Dakota. Jasmine Harris was six. That's the leading scorer. They lost by seven on the road. All three of those teams should be better next year than this year. All three of those teams should be knocking on the door of the NCAA tournament. Now, I'm not saying all three will get there. I think all three will get close to the NCAA now, tournament. But, with that being, go but ahead. I'm curious to see how many fans come see those three teams play. I'm curious yeah. to see how much the administration for those three schools will put into marketing those three teams next year. Two. So now, those two ahead. things don't happen. It'll just be me, you, and Doc, and a handful of other folks talking about when basketball next year in Houston. Because the, As usual. And the number th- the, the number three is, and this is going to be, if they, are, they will, those three teams will suffer just like the men will. Teams will be more apprehensive to play Texas Southern in non-conference than they will with we're putting on, or with, with, uh, as far as inviting to go play in a home and home situation, take the southern they'll get their, they'll take a second phone call. But U of H and Rice, it, it's going to change. Just because of the fact that they have been, uh, they're starting now to become successful. They're starting to get to a regular, uh, uh, become a regular postseason play. At least Rice has. What, Always got to work with, with, what, with you're saying, what you're saying on the women's side is more 
conducive to Doc's earlier comments in the podcast right. about coaches yep. running from you racing rice and not taking yeah. those phone calls because hey, man, women's man, basketball man. does not have the quadrant system right. and they don't have it where it's, you get more points, you get point six point plus for a road win. So they still stick with the antiquated RPI system. So U of H and Rice, I know U of H had trouble making getting teams to agree to play them. I mean, I know that for a fact. So I'm assuming Rice women, you know, if not, I'm sure they will too. You know, Rice started to win now. Rice, I want to go down there and lose. You know. So I, that would not shock me at all. But saying all that, you gotta schedule. Just do what you can. You gotta schedule. Raise up your level of competition, non-conference, as best you can, because you need those quality wins to help buoy your schedule. Because the conference you play, you're playing in, just does not have enough opportunities for good in-conference quality wins. I mean, conference you would say has less top to bottom quality opportunities than the American. And the American doesn't have that many. So Rice, U of H, they got to do what they can to step up the uh, non-conference opponents. And unfortunately, in the Houston market, teams, fans, excuse me, fans want to see the opponents more than they want to see the, the hometown team. Right. So if Rice right. gets Baylor, Rice gets A&M, that'll be the biggest crowd. Texas, be the yep. biggest crowd. Rice plays TSU. Yeah. <laughs> and Rice TSU next year could be a battle of two teams going to the tournament. Yeah. And folks <laughs> right. don't get that. That is something you need to pay attention to. Because doing, I was, I only got Coach, uh, Coach Ansel from Middle Tennessee to answer the question in public at the podium about where the conference needs to go to get a better RPI. And it was almost like he was waiting for somebody to ask that question because that's been a source of contention with him just like everybody, just, just like uh, it is with Gino in America. As a conference, he basically said, we need to schedule better. It's not about you going down the road to Vanderbilt or the Ole Miss or to uh, Mississippi State or Baylor or Texas on a regular basis or A&M and trying to schedule a home-and-home situation. If you get beat, you get beat. But, damn it, you got to compete with with these other other conferences because when you look at it, you look at how many teams from out of their uh, SEC went to postseason play and got into the dance. Yep, that's a lot. Yep. Look at how, how many conferences now are still in the in the tournament. The Pac-12 and the SEC. The American is down to one school. Two schools got in. One school got rolled in the first game. Yep. <laughs> and they weren't even close. And 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 really didn't surprise me. Only thing that surprised me. None was, of us. Was that USF lost by? Now check this out. USF lost by more points to Buffalo. It was twenty-three, I think, than they did to UConn in the AAC final. It was like right. nineteen. That shocked me because I expect, and I said in our previous podcast, I expect USF 
to lose by at least 20 to UConn, if not 35. But the fact that Buffalo dropped 102 on USF. No knock on Buffalo, okay? But you go and ask media, national media, who don't cover Buffalo, or not to be riders, and say to anybody, you think Buffalo can score 102 on South Florida? Do what? On who? And they would say, hell no. 102. That is a problem for the American. That is, USF is American's second best team. The American hangs its hat on the success of USF. USF got smacked around by Buffalo. That is a problem. The American is UConn and the rest of y'all. And, you know, yep. and, and it's the rest of y'all. I'm not even going to say the 11, the rest of y'all. So the conference needs to step up, schedule better non-conference, and, of course, win some of those non-conference games because you cannot guarantee you're going to be like Oklahoma was this year, get into the NCAA tournament with one top 50 win despite having the second best, second toughest in the schedule, the committee awarded Oklahoma a tournament bid based on one top 50 win. One. One. And and that's again, one. One and eight. One. And that still and pissed me of, off. And by the way, as of today's games finished on both the WNIT uh, and the NC2A, the American is down to one team out of the conference in postseason play. Everybody else went down either in the first round or the second. And that one team may win that championship. But that is beside the point. That one team that, is way better than everybody else. The rest of y'all they shouldn't have to. looks like y'all are way worse than everybody else. And that's not, that's not good. <clears throat> so that, that is the problem. To me, it seems like, and Doc Lockett, please chime in. It seems like U of H, Temple, Cincinnati, UCF, there is a void just begging to be filled by somebody in the American to be that next team to get things done on the national landscape. And by that, I mean winning, getting through the tournament the NCAA tournament and winning. It's not just UConn. It's not just that USF team that ain't nobody scared of them. Nobody expect them to do anything. And Buffalo said, yep, we don't either. We're not scared of them. Bam. Be gone. I would like to revisit this next week when we really look at the the final matches up after tomorrow on the women's side about the the final 16 teams and break it down in terms of the conference. Oh, yes. See how how big is the spread in terms of the American versus the other teams. For example, in the men, uh, we just can announce a final, which everybody be aware of. You have two number one seeds that have failed mm-hmm. in the men's side uh, of the tournament with Florida State upsetting Xavier just a little while ago, 75 to 70 in a Really nice matchup. But what I was looking uh, even more so at is like how many teams from these conferences 
shift out uh, to the Sweet 16. And on the men's side, you have four from the ACC. Uh, you have essentially three from the Big 12 that everybody was talking quite a bit about. So give you some indication there. And then you have like two from the SEC, uh, essentially um, two from the Big 10. So you see a bigger spread. Uh, then and sometimes when you look at when some conferences having a larger number of teams in there, especially when you think about the number of teams these large conferences get in to the playoffs uh, outside of the Pac-12 this year, where they didn't even make it uh, into the Sweet 16. But you have a lot more of these uh, teams that, uh, at least in basketball, looked at maybe not as a power five, but certainly as High major programs with the Big East, uh, getting the two number one seeds. Obviously, only one makes it through, uh, but they're right there on the shelf getting in. Uh, you have Gonzaga, that is now obviously mentioned as a high major program, continuing to push the envelope of showing where they are in the business of basketball, as I like to call it, even at the college level. Uh, and then you have some teams that are surprising people getting in there: Loyola, Chicago, Nevada. Uh, in terms of what's going on there. So it'll be interesting to see how that mirrors on the women's side to even make your argument stronger and when you start comparing uh, these gaps and how does that affect the game on the women's side in terms of marketing and branding. Uh, one of the reasons that makes this fascinating for on the men's side is you watch these first couple of games because you're looking for the upset. And then it tends to shake itself out when you get into the Sweet 16, Elite 8, particularly in the Final Four. When you go back to what many people recall, uh, recall, I should say, the Blue Bloods, which makes sure that the NCAA makes its money mm-hmm. in terms of traveling and viewership. And so until you see that on the women's side, you're going to get, you're still going to struggle in terms of getting the viewership and the fan base to follow. Because as we recall last year, when you really got the, Big talk about women's basketball when you had your major upset uh, with Mississippi State over Connecticut, and people followed in to see what was going to happen in the championship game. So to get the excitement on the women's side and to get more interest, you're going to need better uh, contests and games, which is to your ultimate point, particularly in American, a win where other teams step up to try to create the differences. And, and let me let me add, because all of us know that the queen of the mountain is UConn. There, personally, I think there is a large gap from one to two, then three, two, three, and four, and then five down to twenty-five is the same, and then twenty-six to three fifty-one is another huge gap. But in the first yeah. two rounds, first two rounds. The nine seed won three of the eight nine matchups on the women's side, so that's three upsets. You know, kind of it's still eight nine matchup, but still. Yeah, because we got Buffalo. Both, Buffalo was eleven seed beat six seed USF, so that's four. Eleven seed Creighton beat six seed Iowa, so that's five. Ten seed Virginia beat seven seed Cal, six. Uh, Twelve seed Florida Gulf Coast. Beat five seed Missouri, seven. Today, let me go here. Central Michigan, 11 seed, beat six seed LSU, eight. 
this first round. <laughs> 10 seed Minnesota beat 7 seed Green Bay, 9. Today, 6 seed Oregon State, 1 in Knoxville, beat 3 seed Tennessee. So that's 10 upsets in the first two rounds with the second round, breath of second round taking place Monday night. So that's 10 upsets right there. So the parity is getting there in women's basketball. Yeah, it's not at the tippy top yet where the one seeds, like this year in the men's side, you got two one seeds that have already been eliminated. And I'm making this the Sweet 16. But the current team that have reached yeah, the yeah. Sweet 16 on the women's side, you got two seed Baylor against, against the six seed Oregon State. Louisville's one seed will be playing, uh, has made the six Sweet 16. One, one seed Notre Dame will be playing four seed Texas A&M. In the 316. Right now, we have uh, two seed Oregon leading going in the third quarter, 10 seed Minnesota. So, chances by 15. So, the chances are that that two seed will reach the 316. Four seed NC State is in the 316. So, except for Oregon State as a six seed, the top four seeds in each of the four regions so far has made, has qualified for the 316. So and you compare that on the men's side, as you said, two one seeds are done, and you also have two two seeds mm-hmm. are done. Right. And but the the next thing, because like I said, yeah, ten upsets so far. My problem is who saw? Them? Because ESPN, and it could be because their their TV deals with their with the NCA partners, whatever, has regionalized first regionalized coverage for the first two rounds. So mm-hmm. if you don't have, and they kept promoting this Friday and Saturday, if you don't have the ESPN app to stream the games, you were stuck with watching one game on your TV on ESPN2. Wow. One. Unless you had DirecTV, which apparently has, you know, the four alternate channels, and you're able to see up to four matches at the same time on the four channels. But that was not and is not mentioned in the press release that ESPN disseminated touting ESPN being the home of women's basketball in March. So I I wrote an opinion, a blog post on it, tweeted it. I'm still getting comments and retweets and likes and starting discussion about the topic. How are you, how does Reason Live's coverage help grow the women's college basketball game? I don't have direct TV. I like seeing the game on TV, larger screen. I'm getting old. My eyes can't look at no laptop, smartphone like these young young youngsters can. I prefer seeing on I big screen. I hear you. I hear you. I so, hear you. It's a struggle. It's a struggle, brother. Men's, men's basketball tournament games are on CBS, TBS, TNT, and True TV. The only time I watch True TV is right now during March Madness. Oh. Hold on, because you missed one. If you got Hulu, you can catch the games live. Uh, but that, that bothers that's me. That's basketball, right? Right. And that also bothered me that when you – and this is how I call the U of H games. Online at CBS Sports. With no mention, you go to – you went to Game Center, and then the screen comes up, watch live. Punch that and then boom. Now, I get it because 
you you unless you if you uh you know at somebody uh at the library or whatever where you can watch it free, but if you at home and you watch the internet and all of a sudden the screen comes up and there's no mention of you can find the games on CBS you know sports and sports dot com, that is ridiculous because now you basically putting folks into it unless you can watch it CBS TV. All the rest of it, you got to pay for it to get access. But you touting that you can find it anywhere. Well, they didn't tell you you can find it anywhere. Because I I, just, uh, I know some of these conferences, these smaller conferences, non-Power 5, they're using Twitter, they're using Facebook to, to push their games out free. You know, if you if you got access to, to those two apps, you can watch the game free through the conference. And nobody pushed that out. So it is about marketing. It is about brand. If you don't want people to see, then say that from Jump Street. If you want folks to pay for it, say that. You're making one point, and I agree with that point. My initial point with my problem with ESPN and its coverage, I'm talking about TV coverage, because as one of my colleagues said, and she's doesn't have TV. She watches every she streams everything now, and she does. She's glad to have to be able to watch the women's games, have access to the games via streaming, via the app, etc. My point to her and other folks in in our discussion was the TV part of it. I'm not I'm not downing and against streaming. I want the game. I want both. I want the games to be available on TV. If I want to watch them on TV, I am. I'm talking women's basketball, women's tournament, and being able to stream. ESPN has the channels in their quote-unquote family of networks to broadcast the, these first two rounds on ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPNU, ESPN Classic, the SEC Network, alternate channels. So it's not like they don't have the channel capacity to show these games on TV as well as the app. Don't just tout the app. And if I don't have the app and don't want the app, I'm stuck watching one game on TV until ESPN headquarters decides to switch from this blowout to go to a competitive game to, you know, give you the whip around coverage, the live look in. This game that I'm looking at, game X, is a 30-point route in the third quarter. I don't want to go to streaming. I have, I have no option. I'm stuck here watching this game, as an example, until they change to another game. How is that growing the game? Whereas you put, you give me the chance to go to ESPN News or ESPN Classic to see another game, I'm going to change the channel. I'm going to flip. I'm going to just go right to the, oh, well. Put the and the games are the scores for the other games are in a window in the upper right part of the TV screen. But what it says at the bottom of it is all games and has the E for the app, the ESPN app. What are you touting? Are you trying to grow the game or grow the interest in your app? I want to see the game on TV. I don't want to have to go to my phone on my laptop to see another game. I just want to up and down my channel 
Ooh, oh, oh, there's another game right there. Hey, all right. Ooh, that's a blowout. Let me go change another one. Oh, there's another game. Yeah. That's what it did for the men. I have four channels to surf. TNT, TBS, CBS, True TV. I just bounced around. Game was close. Let me go to this one. Don't have that women's basketball. That's a problem to me, especially when you have the channels to get it done. Years ago, and youngsters don't realize this, don't know it. Years ago, the men's tournament was on CBS. You saw one game. You had regional coverage. You saw one game. Other games taking place around the country. If it was a blowout, you saw that one game until CBS switched you to another game. Then they decided to get into, well, let's charge. Let's just put out a package to make it available to everybody. And if they want to pay for it, we'll offer it to them to go online or what have you and pay to allow you to watch other games. Then a few years later, Turner or CBS Network, whatever the company, said, hmm, we have the channels. Why not put all the games on TV? Oh, that's a good idea. Been a big success. So much so now that you got this selection show on PBS. The Final Four would not be on CBS, in case folks don't know that. The Men's Final Four would not be on, on CBS this year. ESPN has channels to do similar for women's games. Every year they have this issue. Every year you got media saying, go to the ESPN app. I don't want to go to the app. I want to see it on my TV. TV. That's what they're missing. Don't exclude one market. It's only for another market. Everybody knows millennials is a a growing market for streaming. We all know that. That does not mean you should completely ignore and shut out the TV viewing market. Especially when you have the channels at your fingertips to show the games. And today, this afternoon, a SEC baseball game was on three channels, ESPN channels. Three. An SEC baseball game. I think, and this is non-conference part of the year, I think, still. Yeah. Uh, I think a, a conference play starts this week. So it, it, it may have been. That means it, you hadn't even, you right. hadn't even got, to that, got to conference play yet. But this game was on three TV channels. Three. Yeah. Mm. The NCAA Women's Tournament was on one. That doesn't make any sense to me. The men's NIT, first round, first two rounds, was on ESPN. The women's NCAA tournament was on ESPN, too. You couldn't flip-flop that? Because it sounds like how you're doing that is it's more important for you to have the men's NIT on the mothership than it is to have the women's NCAA on mothership. Yet you tell me you, you promote yourself as being the home for women's college basketball in March. 
it doesn't look like it to me. <laughs> and ultimately, if we've got new listeners and hearing this podcast for the first time, all three of us will be in Columbus. So don't get it twisted and think, y'all just hating on Wednesday. But nope. We will be in Columbus <laughs> covering the Final Four. Hello. Uh, <laughs> we have our own <laughs> We've got our opinions. But here locally, and, this, and I'm being honest, being totally frank, it's just us three. And and, and and let's just be realistic as well. From the Houston area, Houston, we talk we talk about Houston Rice TSU getting better. They're not going to the Final Four anytime soon. Let's not kid ourselves. But we're still going to be covering Final Four. So we criticize and critique the coverage or lack thereof the overall level of play in women's game because we have an interest and care about women's game. If I didn't, if I was indifferent about the game, I wouldn't discuss it at all. I'd focus on the Rockets and they're butt kicking the NBA right now, leading the West and, and very close to wrapping up number one seed in the whole NBA for home court throughout the playoffs and focus on that and probably make generate more listeners for the podcast if I just talk rock. But I care about yeah. women's college basketball. As I say, we can follow the lead that's going on, but we ain't followers. So we not followers. And yeah, you talked about you talked you about that, but at the end of the day, our factor is women's basketball. And you talked I'll about as much as possible. You put on, you promoted and put on Facebook about the TSU, the first round game, first round WBI game. That's not your job. You're not the marketing department for TSU. Did you get paid for that? Are you the new marketing director for TSU? Uh, is Fifth Floor Wildcat now the marketing director for TSU? Right. <laughs> right. See, so I mean, I mean, we got we got four. Look, people. We got four year institutions in this area, right here in the city limit, inside the loop. Well, just outside the loop. Uh, we got Texas Southern, Rice, U of H, HBU, and Thomas University. Everybody's got a program here in town. Yep, and then you go up the road far. Got Prairie View, a little bit further up road, two ninety. Got Texas A&M. You think anybody's going to be out there covering all five of them schools and the two of us up the road on a regular basis? I don't think so. Only when it suits their interest. Yep. So let's wrap it up on that note. Why can I can folks find you on the World Wide Web, social media? All right. I am a Sith World Wildcat. You can find me on Facebook. Twitter, tweet back at J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry L. Woodley Jr., Cloud, uh, SoundCloud, YouTube, Blogger, Blogspot, at AKSV, VCSR, The College Sports Report. And Doc, how can folks find you? 
Yes, they can follow me on uh, social media platforms at Rakeem Yattakaville at D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. They can also catch me every Tuesday on KKBQ 92.9 FM HD2. Or you can watch it and listen live on Facebook Live at the Dr. Kenyatta Cabille, as well as on SoundCloud, and on www.kqh-tv.com. That's every Tuesday from 545-715 Central Standard Time for Dr. Cabille's Inside HBC Sports Lab. And, and I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review, HoustonRoundBallReview.com. Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube, Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram. Our Facebook page is, you can just search for it, KG, Fifth Wildcat and Doc on Facebook. Podcasts are available on Pod Directory, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud. So the different ways to listen to the podcast. There's different ways you're going to interact with us on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at VHR Review. You hit me up on Twitter, as, as folks have. Some folks have disagreed with me. That's fine. As long as you don't call me the names, I don't have to mute you or block you. <laughs> I've had no problem with, with critiques and criticism. No problem at all. But, you know, I am an adult. I give respect. I expect respect in return. You don't respect me, I'll just move on from you. I don't have time for all that foolishness. I'm sorry for that. So, you, you know, that is what it is. This podcast was good. I enjoyed it. Thank you for your time, fellas. We'll be doing another podcast, hopefully, before we head out to Columbus for the Women's Final Four. Um, you know, as I said, U of H men had a successful season. Most of the teams locally had a successful season. I yeah. think Rice men yeah. will be better next year. I think Houston Baptist men and women have to got to get better. Yeah, HBU yeah. has a freshman who should help lead them back to prominence and success starting next year because the rest of the teams in the area in H town are getting better. Oh yeah. So the the success of those teams does not mean more bus will be in the seat, unfortunately, but there will be more wins on, on the court. So it's up to the schools to promote, not, not up to us. It's up to the schools to promote themselves and success of their programs. Hell, it's up to the schools to let the media know when you're practicing. It's up to the schools to let the media know when your games are being played and who the opponent is. But first and foremost, I'm not going to name the schools, but it's easy to choose from. It's a finite number. If you're not telling the media when you're practicing, that's your fault. That's a you problem. You can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't t- complain and say, well, the media doesn't come to our game. Well, if you don't tell the media when you're playing and when you're practicing, why are they going to come to your game? How are they going to come to your game? So let's think about that. This March, you've got months to do better. The 18-19 season is months away. So it's up to you to let folks know who you are, 
when you practice and when you play. Because if you don't, not my fault. It's your fault. Gentlemen, as always, thank you for your time. Thank you for your opinions and your insight, your knowledge. We'll talk again soon. Going to wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.